Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Things are degrading quickly. And we've got a report from the ground. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Before we get started, we wanted to share the hashtag tripod. It's this really great hashtag going around during the month of March that encourages everyone who loves podcasts, which I'm assuming all of you do, to encourage your friends and family to try it out. And so if you have to like physically take their phone and show them the app, that's fine. I've done that on multiple occasions. Just be sure and subscribe them to Pantsuit Politics while you're at it. So hashtag tripod. Uh, We want to get everyone to listen to podcasts because they're fantastic. And people don't know about them. It's funny how many people ask me about this and say, like, how's your blog? I was like, it's not really a blog, but thank you for asking. So, (laughs) Not a blog. Not a blog. Well, and especially if you have an iPhone, the app is on there, man. It's like I got to download anything. It's right there. Yep. So I think this is a great effort. And I've seen some really cool podcasts that um, I hadn't heard of before shared under this hashtag. So it's something to check out. Yeah, it's getting a lot of love. So spread the tripod love, guys. Well, it's been kind of a busy week. And oh we are, mm. <laughs> we 
Were you going to use the word bananas? Because I feel like that's Yeah, it is bananas. But it's just, again, the situation is degrading rapidly. That's how I feel. Well, we've got an interview that we're going to share with Katherine Gibson of Voice of America. She is a reporter there who is also a listener of Pantsy Politics, and she was in the room for the Comey and Rogers hearing on Monday. She's been in the room for Devin Nunes press conferences, so she's going to tell us a little bit about her perception from the ground. So let's start there. Let's start with the Comey hearing. He had some things to say. He was very forthright and credible, I thought. Not Still mad at him. Just want to be abundantly clear on the record. Still mad at you, but you are slowly, brick by brick, earning back my trust. So James Comey confirmed that the FBI is investigating whether or not members of President Trump's campaign colluded with the Russians. And then as we are recording on Thursday, CNN has come out and said that info suggests Trump associates may have coordinated with Russians and that they um, suspect... There was coordination of the release of information damaging to Hillary Clinton's campaign, which, let me just say, doesn't make me mad at all. It was interesting to me that he didn't bury the lead at all. It wasn't like anybody had to pull this information out of him. He, like, sat down in his chair and said, I'm going to answer your biggest questions right now, and then I'm not going to give you any details about it because that is not appropriate. And then five and a half hours later, we knew exactly what we knew at the beginning of the hearing, in my view. Yeah. So not only did James Comey confirm that the FBI is investigating whether or not members of the Trump's campaign colluded with the Russians, which it appears that they did, uh, but then we also got information that Paul Manafort, former campaign manager and campaign Donald Trump campaign chair, had a $10 million deal with Putin allies to promote Russian interest. So, you know, no conflict there. As you read that AP story about Manafort, I think that it really bolsters some of what you heard from Comey and Rogers about why these things take so much time and how difficult it is to understand all the moving parts and to know that you've investigated every angle and why six months is such a short amount of time in the intelligence world. Because the Manafort story is complicated. I mean, it's yeah. bad, but it's also complicated. And if you were investigating this, you could go in a thousand different directions. Well, and I just feel like, you know, that's what I posted on Facebook is I know it's complicated, but we have to keep paying attention. We have to keep following the story because it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's like it's complicated and we have to keep following the story. And we also have to not react too much to each individual drip of information because the context matters and we don't have the context yet. I mean, what context do we need for colluding for the release of information damaging Hillary Clinton's campaign? Well, I think we need to know the full extent of that, right? And I'm not excusing or making excuses for anything. I think it's just a a point at which, at what point do we start using words like treason? Some people are there today, and I don't think we're there today, right? I think we need to – these are serious things we're talking about. My my point is let's be careful and let's be measured. And again, let's not root against our administration, and let's also be open to the possibility that our administration has done something on a scale that we've not seen in our lifetimes. I mean, it's it's just can we hold space for all the possibilities here? Well, you know, I've been very politely on Facebook, continuing to sort of follow my concern. And, you know, I kind of picked, I just decided when Trump was elected and it felt like the end of the world that I was going to pick my one thing 
that I was going to talk about on Facebook. Apparently, I picked correctly. Um, my one thing was Russia. So, you know, and I keep kind of just bopping up and saying, hi, it's me again. I'm still concerned. But I'm about to, I, I'm at the very probably end of my polite concern and I'm passing very rapidly into um, maybe not panic, but I don't know the right word. More than concerned. When I th- If anybody has any suggestions for my level of concern, <laughs> send them on. Well, I have a high degree of trepidation right now, too. I mean, I'm trying to keep my brain from going to five alarm fire, but I think you did pick right. And I do find myself as interesting as the health care bill is. I find myself thinking, gosh, like this is just not the thing to be focused on today. Right. Because yep. the, what what Comey and Roger said and and I find both of those guys to be serious and credible. And if you could tell that they did not relish the attention they were getting and they were trying to be thorough and complete in their responses. I mean, this is a super big deal. Well, do you want to speak to um, the Nunes press conference and then we'll play your interview with Catherine? So after the five and a half hour hearing with the House Intelligence Committee, which Devin Nunes chairs, the conclusions coming out of that hearing, you had you had a bunch of different hearings going on at the same time, and Catherine and I will talk about that. I mean, essentially, House Republicans, in my view, very shamefully focused more on intelligence leaks than on the investigation into the Trump campaign's possible coordination with Russia. Now, it is not that I don't think leaks are a big deal. I think leaks are a big deal. I think they are a less big deal than possible coordination between a presidential campaign and a foreign power. So you had that going on. You had questions about whether Trump's tweet that President Obama illegally wiretapped Trump Tower were accurate. And then you had the whether the FBI and NSA are looking into possible coordination with Russia. And the conclusions were, yes, the FBI is. No, President Obama did not illegally wiretap Trump Tower. And sure, there might be some leaks in the intelligence community, and we're looking at those too. Okay, so then Devin Nunes, the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, in the most bizarre fashion possible, holds a press conference to say, like, both bombshell and nothing statements, because he he said someone, we don't know who, brought something, we don't know what, to his attention that indicates that some people associated with the Trump campaign, maybe Trump himself, yes, definitely Trump himself, no, not Trump himself, if you watch the press conference, um, had been incidentally had had intelligence on them incident, incidentally collected in this process. So they weren't the target of a FISA warrant, but pursuant to a FISA warrant, their conversations were picked up. Now, how Nunes thinks this is helpful to the president, I do not know, because it would indicate that members of Team Trump were talking with people who were being surveilled pursuant, pursuant to FISA warrants, which is not a statement that I would feel vindicated by although President Trump has said that he does feel somewhat vindicated by it. And after holding this press conference where Nunes says he has this unnamed and unspecified material, he'll tell us more about it on Friday, maybe not, um, he runs to the White House by himself to brief the president on it. He does not consult with the Intelligence Committee. I certainly hope he called a personal lawyer 
because I, I do not understand what he's trying to accomplish here. Later, he came out and apologized to the Intelligence Committee for not sharing the information with them first. As of the time we're recording this, the ranking members of the Intelligence Committee, I think it's fair to say, don't know what the hell he's talking about. So it's been a real mess. Is that, Sarah, do you have anything to add to that summary? Oh, Lord. What could you even possibly add to that at this point? Why don't we go to your discussion with Catherine? We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply.
Catherine, what was your day like? What's this week been like? It, it has to have been just a remarkable week in your career. <laughs> well, you know, we we talk about how this Trump administration, it just feels like every day, every hour, almost every minute, there's something new and breaking. And this week just took that feeling to a wholly, entirely different level. You know, we have so much going on on this Russia investigation story that one revelation after the other just keeps rolling in and rolling in. And you never really have time to step back and think, you know, these revelations are actually pretty extraordinary in terms of what we're talking about for a U.S. presidency. Yeah, it's it's breathtaking to watch from home. I can't imagine being there in D.C. and having a front row seat. So can we back up and talk about the the Comey Rogers hearing? You were in the room for that hearing and watching it on television the, the body language and the vibe that even came through on TV was stunning, but I would love to hear kind of how the scene felt to you. Well, it was really the circus atmosphere. The circus came to the house side of Capitol Hill on Monday, and you had the hallways packed with reporters, everybody just scrambling for any scrap of information. And then when FBI Director Comey announced that there was indeed an investigation into Russia's election meddling, which had been long suspected, but quite frankly, some of us didn't think he would actually announce at the hearing, there was just this intake of breath in the room. It was extraordinary, quite frankly. I can imagine. And when they they finally took their first break, you know, what what was it like in the room during that break? Well, you know, we all rushed out to get interviews with members of Congress. I spoke with Congressman Peter King, and I asked him, you know, with these revelations from Director Comey, doesn't this make the case that there needs to be an independent investigation into the Russia issue? And, you know, Peter King is a very strong Donald Trump supporter. He said that, no, that the House Intelligence Committee is known as a very bipartisan committee where Republicans and Democrats work together. They've already looked into this issue. Why add another committee? And, of course, a a couple of days later, we got a a new argument on that front. I was about to ask, have you had a chance to follow up with Representative King (laughs) since since things things have changed? Well, I spoke with him after uh, Chair Nunez came out yesterday. We were addressing the issue of whether President Trump had been vindicated by the announcement on Wednesday. And he said that he'd certainly felt that that was the case. Uh, Representative Kane has always told me that he felt that President Trump somewhat overshot the mark with his tweet about the wiretapping claims. He said that there was some truth to them, but that he felt that the president may have not stated the case correctly in his tweet. And of course, certainly with the revelations on Wednesday that vindicated the president, as he said, and seem to have made the case for that somewhat. I and I qualify that for a very good reason. <laughs> you know, I understand. I I guess I'm trying to think through just as an average person watching this. It, it seems like the House Intelligence Committee even during the hearing had lots of different objectives going on at the same time. 
right? You have a group of people interested in the investigation into connections, coordination between the Trump campaign and Russia. And you have a group of people more interested in the leaks. And then there is the the wiretapping tweet. Right. You got... Sorry. No, go ahead. Just what is happening? (laughs) That's my question. (laughs) Right. I mean, you you put it so well. There are so many different issues and so many different fronts. And you have Democrats and Republicans fighting different battles at the same time. At times, the Monday hearing felt like being in two different hearings running concurrently, which was a bizarre feeling. You know, you have... Trey Gowdy, who was really getting into the details, the nitty gritty of what does a reporter do when they reveal classified information? How do they find their sources? What happens to that reporter if they reveal them? And over on the other side, you have the Democrats who are worried about this fact, this extraordinary fact that it looks like we had a foreign power interfering in our election. So you had two completely different tracks going on at the same time. It was really, it was kind of a microcosm of what goes on on the Hill here all the time on a number of issues. Democrats and Republicans just on completely different platforms. I was watching Chairman Nunez closely during that hearing, and I sensed so much discomfort from him. So in a way, I wasn't, I guess, shocked but not surprised seems to be coming the the catchphrase. I love the circus on Showtime, and I thought that was such a great uh, way to label their first episode. But um, that's kind of how I felt when he had more to say this week. Can you, for people who aren't watching this breathlessly, um, can you... Can you talk about what exactly he has said so far and try to make some kind of sense of it for us? So on Wednesday, when he came out with this revelation about the intelligence intercepts, he seemed to be making a case for why he needed to go to the White House. That was certainly the question on all of the minds of the reporter's including me standing there and wondering, well, you haven't briefed your intelligence committee colleagues yet. You have an ongoing investigation. You have concerns about revealing information too soon. And yet here you are going to the White House to brief the subject of your investigation. And, you know, Nunez is is so interesting. You could tell that he was struggling to find a way to carefully phrase everything that he was saying. You know, he just said, I feel like I need to go to the White House. He kept saying that phrase. And he just looked, (laughs) I I don't know if I can say this, (laughs) he just looked bewildered. He looked Mm -hmm. overwhelmed by all of it. Yeah, I, you know, pain kept coming to mind for me during the hearing, like every, everything that really landed from directors Comey and Rogers, I felt like he looked pained by it. He, He looked pained on Wednesday as well. That's an excellent way of putting it. He just looked like, how do I keep up with all of this? (laughs) Yeah, even as he's creating that news. And so I guess I wonder what. How do we go forward from here, given the comments from Chairman Nunez and then uh, Congressman Schiff's reaction? 
Yeah, I think you have to look at Congressman Schiff's reaction late Wednesday to all of this. He came out, you know, he's actually known as having a really good bipartisan working relationship with Chair Nunez. And he came out Wednesday night and just seemed completely stunned that his colleague on the committee had not briefed him before heading to the White House to brief the president. And he made the case that we need an independent investigation because there are just too many questions. Politics has gotten too deeply intertwined with this committee's work. And he was actually seconded on that by Senator McCain, who said, I don't say this lightly, but now this really makes the case. This is the time for an independent commission. And I think that's where we go from here. That's where the discussion on the Hill goes from here. How do we make this work in a way that really helps the American people both wrap their heads around this complicated issue and makes them feel safe about their leadership again? Because I think that's still a huge open question here. What are we doing to really address this issue and close it? Can you give our listeners a sense of what an independent investigation would look like? Sure. So Congressman Schiff actually referred to an example late Wednesday. He spoke about the 9-11 Commission, which is something that I'm sure many Americans would be familiar with, where you have, you know, former lawmakers, respected voices in the community, political and intelligence community here, who will be able to take a step back from the daily political battles and just really focus on the investigation itself. And of course, that commission would be bipartisan. It would be drawn from both parties. So that would really address some of the long-running questions that we just keep running into up here on Capitol Hill. So as you're covering all of this, I know that you're watching the AHCA very closely as well. How, How do you focus as a reporter? How do you know what to keep your eye on in the midst of all of this? Well, editors are really helpful on that front. Um, They are the ones who actually get to take a step back and say, you know, this is the whole big picture of our coverage. And this is where your work today fits into that bigger picture. So they'll say, you know, we've actually got a fantastic national security correspondent who will pick up the second day House Intelligence Committee story and really talk to his sources and take the story in a different direction so that I can then focus on the healthcare vote. So it's, you know, it's key to just keep in constant contact with the editors in the newsroom and have this really running discussion throughout the day about what the priorities are. Well, I don't envy any of you those tasks. Um, <laughs> it's it's difficult to keep up with right now. So just returning briefly to the hearing on Monday, was there anything from uh, directors Comey and Rogers that you think hasn't gotten the attention that it maybe deserves in the news cycle? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, it went on for hours, right? So I know it's a hard question, too. (laughs) It was five and a half hours long. And, you know, I would expect that next Monday's hearing will be even longer because we have more witnesses. That 
You know, you flummoxed me on that okay. one. <laughs> I apologize. Well, I'm let, so sorry. No. no, no, no. Let me ask you this. I felt a lot of emotions watching that hearing, but the one that I really walked away from it with, and, and I know this is going to sound bizarre, but I just felt really happy to be an American because here, here we have our highest ranking intelligence officials explaining to the public how this works. They're explaining FISA. They're explaining the unmasking process. They're, they're openly testifying in a public forum under oath that they are investigating the campaign of our sitting president. And I just think that doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. And I wondered if there's any sense of that sentiment among the press or among the people in the room. Did did you get any of that sort of like, yes, this is all a mess, but but it's our mess and at least it's an open mess? <laughs> That's a fascinating question because I think we have a tendency here to get caught up in our bubble and we're so focused on keeping track of the breaking news, keeping track of the story. And this happened during the campaign, obviously, to a large extent, is that it's really hard to take the time to step back and see that bigger picture, like you said. To us in the room, that that whole FISA explanation process, you're kind of sitting there thinking, okay, okay, you know, I, I understand that. What's the what's the lead for my story? That's mm-hmm. what you're sitting there and thinking about. But now that I've had a couple of days to kind of digest that hearing and to see the chatter back and forth on Twitter, I really wish there was a better way for us to talk about some of these processes that are going on because I see a lot of people who don't understand them or want to see something that supports their political viewpoint and they cherry pick out of the hearing. I wish there was a way that we could all really discuss this in more detail. And maybe as journalists, we need to do a better job of getting into the nitty gritty on that. Because the better understanding we have of that process, the better we can understand what is happening with this Trump-Russia story. Is there anything in particular that you you think, here's the number one misconception I'm seeing about that process? Well, I think people are, let me start again. I think there needs to be a better understanding of what incidental intelligence collection is. That it's not, in quotes, wiretapping. It's not that a person was targeted per se. In this case, it would be President Trump and or his associates. It's that the U.S. conducts surveillance on foreign powers. And, you know, a lot of information, raw intelligence just gets sucked up in that process. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the intelligence community is targeting someone per se. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about how intelligence collection works in this country. And I would love to see more discussion about it. I think we could get that in connection with the reauthorization of the the acts that authorize that process, do you think? I would hope so. But I mean, that is asking a lot for people to pay attention to 
when, you know, look, we have just coming out of the U.S. House of Representatives, we have so many different revelations about the Trump-Russia investigation. We have the health care vote. We have Supreme Court nominees over on the Senate side. It's a lot to ask of people to follow all of these stories the way us reporters do. I don't know... I don't know how we move forward on that and making that kind of more accessible to the general public. It's something that I think about quite a bit, actually. Yeah, it's amazing that like Judge Gorsuch's hearings are are like a are like background noise this week. Oh, I know. But as soon as Comey announced the investigation on Monday, I got a text from my Senate colleague who said, "Wow, well, I guess my story went to the back page now." You I know? mean, it's amazing, and that's extraordinary that a Supreme Court confirmation hearing would be the second or third most important story of the day. Just it really speaks to what it's like up here right now. Did the reporters in the room have a, a reaction that you could feel to? Representative Gowdy's line of questioning about the press, I was really troubled by his questions. I think that, you know, a lot of my colleagues and I covered the Benghazi committee hearings. And I think that we've grown accustomed to some of the lines of questioning that Representative Gowdy will take in these types of settings. I think you kind of get used to or think of the members of Congress you just become familiar with their issues, their lines of questioning, you know where they're going to go so that you know how to write the story. So I think that wasn't entirely unexpected to hear from from Gowdy. Well, I'm glad that that it didn't trouble you guys because sitting at home, I thought, what can we can we just not with the press right now? I, I feel like this is the most critical moment for the press in our country's history. And um, so I appreciate what you're doing. I really appreciate you making time to talk with us Absolutely. during this f- fever pitch of a week. I hope that you'll come back and let us know more about what you're seeing. That would be fantastic. <laughs> Always happy to do it. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you, Beth. Have a great day. You too. Good luck okay. with everything. Sure. Bye. <laughs> bye <Bye-bye>. bye. <laughs> I did want to add before we move on from the hearings that Karen on Twitter had a great read, I think, to this whole situation, which is she said illegality is all around Trump. He was likely influenced by people with specific agendas tailored to appeal to his worldview and vanity. And so he is influenced. Also think he probably willfully ignorant of crimes around him, but I bet we will never be able to pin any intentional criminal activity on him. I thought that was true at the time. Again, though, as the situation continues to degrade, I'm not even sure anymore. I have no idea. I really don't. I mean, I try to craft possibilities in my head of what could be going on, and it doesn't take me anywhere good. So I'm just waiting and watching. I don't know. So speaking of waiting and watching, the other lots of things happening on Capitol Hill, but they are trying to get the healthcare package through the House. Sean Spicer is saying it will pass. I find him to be overly optimistic. I don't think it's going to pass the House. I don't think it's going to pass the House either. I also think that all of the people who are trying to cram it through the House will live to regret that activity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's so silly that they're working so hard. It's dead on arrival in the Senate. So I don't – just so, to prove that you can pass it, 
To what end? I'm so confused by the whole strategy. Paul Ryan said to Hugh Hewitt this week that in addition to essentially trusting Tom Price to fix this through regulation, which is the least conservative idea I could possibly articulate, the idea that conservatives would say, we're going to use an unelected administrative agency to develop health care policy makes my blood boil. Mm-hmm. But Paul Ryan said that in addition to Tom Price kind of fixing this and some other things that they're going to do later in phases two and three, the Senate can get around the bird rule more easily than the House can. So apparently if what the House passes violates the bird rule, and we've talked about this before on the show, the bird rule says if you're using budget reconciliation, which they are, to pass a measure, it has to be related to the budget. And if things about it aren't related to the budget, it can't be considered. So if the House passes something that violates the Byrd rule, it's dead. But if it goes to the Senate, if the House passes it and it goes to the Senate, and then senators offer amendments that violate the Byrd rule, just those amendments come off the table, not the whole package. And so they can use the Senate as sort of a laboratory to see how far they can push the Byrd rule to add on to the House bill. So procedurally, that seems to be some of why Paul Ryan thinks it's important to get this through the House and to the Senate. Now, I I can't begin with all the problems that I have with that, but I thought it was interesting to learn. Well, and there, <laughs> the idea that they are going to, you know, at least last minute negotiations, they're going to strip all those essential required um, medical care because they are just all torn up by the idea that this 60, a 60 year old man would have to pay for required maternity benefits, which I don't even have the time to deal with the ridiculousness of that statement. But, you know, they want to strip those out. Like the idea that you're going to get it passed through the House by making it more extreme and then send it to the Senate. I just guys, guys. It's not going to happen. There's a conversation to be had about essential health benefits. That conversation is not in the context of a last minute deal to rush this Mm -hmm. thing through. So the third big event happening on Capitol Hill is the Gorsuch confirmation hearing. Judge Gorsuch, who we had a really great conversation with one of his former um, law clerks that you should go check out. There's been several concerns about um, his position on torture. The a former law student of his came out and shared some very um, disconcerting statements he made on female lawyers and how they basically, you know, trying to trick their firm into getting maternity benefits and that you can ask a woman during a job interview if she's pregnant. You cannot ask a job. Just for the record, you may not ask a job interview if she's pregnant or planning on getting pregnant. So um, he's still doing really well, I think, in the hearings. He um, is an excellent interview, let's put it that way. But the uh, Democrats are now saying that they are going to filibuster his confirmation. I think more than his performance on the hearing, this is indicative of the fact that they smell blood in the water from all this other stuff. So, yeah, I don't have a lot of patience for filibustering judicial nominees from either party. I I think the confirmation process is pretty clearly one of advice and consent. I think he is manifestly qualified. Do we agree with? Do we agree on everything? Nope. But that's not the standard in this process, and so. I I would hate to see Democrats use their political capital this way. I think I I get that they're mad about Garland. Listen, I am too. But I think this would be a waste 
for Democrats to use their capital on. And, and I and I think it I don't think they're thinking they're spending their political capital. I think they see the Republicans as not having any political or having a decreasing amount of political capital, I guess, is what they now. Is that a good strategy? I don't know. But I don't think they're wrong about that either. I don't think they're wrong about that either. I just I just want someone to be the hero. You know, I want someone to do what the Constitution says. You're not even looking for a hero at this point. You're looking for an adult. An adult. Exactly. (laughs) I want one adult in the room. Well, as my father eloquently says, you can wish in one hand and the other and see what fills up first with regards to Congress these days. I hear that. So before we have some really great feedback, you guys were incredibly kind about our empathy episode and we wanted to share a few things that um, people sent us. But before we move on, Texas passed some incredibly concerning abortion legislation this week. Um, one, this is the the legislative action that got the activists dressed up in the Handmaid's Tale outfits, which I thought was pretty um, visually impactful. Let's put it that way. So they passed one bill that is designed to prevent doctors from encouraging abortions to avoid lawsuits. That's their claim. That's what it will do. But it basically allows doctors to withhold information from parents about an unborn child's disability, which is an interesting strategy to take. They also are banning the procedure known as dilation and evacuation, the second most common second trimester procedure. It is the procedure that I had. Uh, when I lost a baby at 16 weeks, and they are banning it while the fetus is still alive, obviously, but the supporters say it's a barbaric practice, and yeah, I am concerned with the, if this is going to be the future direction that anti-abortion legislation is going to take, I'll say that. cannot fathom how withholding medical information about a child a woman is carrying inside her is constitutional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be challenged, I'm sure. And we also wanted to bring that up because we got some feedback from a listener named Emma about our Somebody Else's Babies episode. And she says, I lost my nuance and smacked my steering wheel a few times listening to y'all. Two pro-choice women speak passionately about protecting and providing a better life for someone else's babies. Can you understand why a pro-life person would hear hypocrisy there? If you believe babies who have the misfortune to be conceived in war-torn countries or to parents who are subject to genocide in their country, etc., deserve our protection and a chance at better life, why don't babies who have the misfortune to be conceived by teenagers in a rape situation with Down syndrome or to parents who simply don't want them deserve the same? And I, we, she was worried we were going to like um, yell at her. I, we would never yell at you, Emma. We love you, Emma, even if we disagree. That's not the way of nuance. Right, Beth? No, and um, Eric on Twitter also said that he feels the same way about abortion as we feel about refugees. And I get it. I mean, I get it. Well, and what I would say is that the nuanced position for me is not that I don't feel that fetuses or babies not yet born or whatever you would like to call them are not deserving of protection. But uh, the nuanced position for me is that I believe there are levels of protection and I do not believe that a fetus's level of protection is the same as a already born child's level of protection. So that's where I, that's my nuanced position. It's not that I don't see them. I don't see them as exactly the same. I see them on a spectrum. And the, the where you fall on the spectrum affects the level of protection uh, legally that I'm willing to offer. 
And I will say, you know, this is indicative of why I'm a moderate, because sometimes I can make more logically consistent and coherent arguments uh, for the pro-life position than I can for the pro-choice position. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's a hard topic. And on balance, I come down on the side of because it's such a hard topic and because it's such a personal topic. And because for a child who is brought into the world when that child is not wanted, and I, I would love for every child brought into the world to have the experience that Steve Jobs has that Emma references, that, that is uh, not always the case. I err on the side of letting that be a personal decision instead of a decision that our policymakers make. But I get it. And I don't feel Mm -hmm. disdain for anyone who feels differently than I do about that. I do feel disdain about using sometimes extraordinary and cruel methods to prevent access to something that our Supreme Court has said people are entitled to. So. On the subject of this being a hard topic, we got a very encouraging email from Michael who said that he he had a conversation with his very staunchly pro-life boyfriend, said, I assured him I wanted to understand him and not debate with him. He ended up opening up in a way I hadn't seen before on an issue where we all know was where we all knew was that we disagreed. He then heard me explain my position that I worry about women dying from back alley abortions and conceded that in the same way. The banning certain assault rifles hadn't stopped ownership of said weapons, making abortion too heavily regulated illegal would only push it back to back alley solutions. It was the first time I felt like we really heard one another on this particular issue, which we generally avoid. I'm a true believer in nuance and empathy in order to truly be able to reach a place of understanding. I think if we treated everyone, regardless of party or beliefs, with the same basic respect, then we would have much more constructive conversations and be less polarized. I honestly went from not being able to fathom what I viewed as cognitive dissonance of him being pro-life, both pro-life and resistant to government intrusiveness, to realizing how much thought and heart he puts into his beliefs and how they make sense to him. So yay, what a win for nuance. Thanks for sharing that. I think there are um, a lot of places to to hold that tension. You know, I don't want to ignore the negative feedback that we got on our empathy episode. We had a couple of people really exercised about... Um, the way that we spoke about the caption on the Syrian child's photograph that we shared and not recognizing that the person who wrote that caption might have inarticulately expressed something tantamount to genuine empathy and thinking, I don't know how to solve all of these problems, but I know that my view of the love of Christ is is a way to get there. And, and mm-hmm. I don't want to be callous about people's genuine faith. And so um, to the extent that that came across, I want to apologize for my remarks because that wasn't my intention. What I do feel strongly about is that, the, in my view, as a Christian and as a person of faith and as a human, I do think it is important to act on our faith more than discuss our faith. And I do think it is important to meet the basic needs of humanity before we ask humanity to adopt even our most deeply held beliefs about the world. And I do think that the language used, even if the person was being an artful, on that photograph indicates sort of a callousness about the very real and present physical dangers 
a person was facing. And everything I read in my Bible says to me that Jesus fed people before he talked to them about God's love. And and that that's kind of how Christianity rolls. So I don't mean to denigrate anyone's faith and um, make comparisons that people find offensive. I think it's important for us to be honest, though, about the fact that some people do use religion and even Christianity and often Christianity as a weapon more than Mm. as an invitation to a table of what I believe is abundant love and grace and acceptance. So we also had a listener write in about the RAINS Act. Did you get a chance to check out the RAINS Act, Beth? I saw the email. I have not spent time looking into the RAINS Act yet. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's, it's okay. I don't mean to be dismissive, but I think it's ludicrous. It says, a regulation with an annual effect of the on the economy of $100,000 or more, which, does, what does that mean? It means all the regulations could not take effect without congressional approval, y'all. Y'all, come on. In this way, either the House or the Senate could easily scuttle a major new regulation simply by doing nothing. So literally every regulate, I can't imagine a regulation that doesn't have an economic impact of a hundred, I'm sorry, excuse me, a hundred million dollars or more. Um, I mean, that's all of them. Or I, I would at least give you a solid 80%. And then all Congress would have to do, which... First of all, Congress would then be required to approve them all because they're so efficient, that Congress. Yeah, I don't see this going anywhere. I would like to understand what percentage of regulations cross that $100 million mark. I think I don't have enough of a handle on the federal budget to to really get whether that dividing line exists. I think it's hard because I, I get the intent of this. and Any kind of arbitrary line in the sand... I think is is the most obvious way of solving a problem and usually the least effective way of solving a problem. Because I think there are regulations with a much smaller economic impact that should still require congressional approval, right? To me, it's less about the financial impact and more about the power wielded through a regulation. So I I understand the sentiment here. I struggle with what administrative agencies do as well. I struggle with people making law who haven't been elected to make law. I just don't, this seems to, this reminds me of this sort of, for every new regulation, you have to get rid of so many, just sort of an easy way to feel like you're doing something about a problem, but not really getting to it. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off.
there's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. So the last part of last little piece of feedback we wanted to share was from Shannon. She said, I just started listening to today's episode and wanted to comment on best question about how we talk about terrorism in this country without linking it to Muslims. I think that the key thing we need to do is address the fact that it seems whenever a white person commits a terrorist act, we call them a lone wolf, but we automatically call it a terrorist act when a brown person does it. It's a sticky situation because ISIS now claims credit for the lone wolf attacks. The Unabomber, Timothy McVeigh, the man that shot Senator Gabby Giffords and the Atlantic Olympic bomber were all terrorist acts committed by Americans, lest we forget. And those are really good point. Yeah, I agree. And we heard that from a couple of people that, you know, just divorcing terrorism from the people who commit it seems to be the best way. I don't think that's going to be a completely satisfying answer for people who feel pretty passionately about this topic. But I do I do think it's helpful. So thank you again, as always, for the amazing feedback. You were really, really supportive and wonderful about the empathy episode. And, we'll ch- and you know, I'll, try, I'll keep crying. I don't have any problem crying. I think it's a good episode when it makes me cry. So we can keep that going. And thank you to Megan for becoming a subscriber and Julie and Amy for their donations. And as always, we want to thank our all of our subscribers, but particularly Melissa, Tracy, Tracy, Ashley, Audrey, Christina, Nicolette, Paige, and Sydney and Priya. So. Thank you so much, you guys. We'll be back with you on Tuesday for another episode. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Thank you to our producer, Nicholas Holland, and to our chief creative officer, Dante Lima, for all the work they do to make Pantsuit Politics possible. And to all of you for making this community so special. Remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Pantsuit Politics, or Instagram at Pantsuit Politics. 
please leave us your feedback and send us your ideas for show topics and paint suit primers on social media or you can email us at sarah at paintsuitpoliticsshow.com or beth at paintsuitpoliticsshow.com.